Last month, former Facebook employee Frances Haugen revealed she had released thousands of documents that showed how the company knew, yet did little to curb harmful content for its billions of users. Those leaks implicated the social media giant, now known as Meta, in allowing the spread of hate speech, worsening teen mental health and other corrosive effects on society. And for Latino users, Spanish-speaking and not, Meta allowed its social media platforms, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, to become carriers of misinformation and conspiracy theories that had real-world consequences. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, November 18th, 2021. COVID-19, the latest presidential election. Analysts and activists claim Facebook or Meta or whatever had a role in skewing reality about these important topics for its Latino users. Today, we talk about the damage and what activists are doing to stop it. As a child of Mexican immigrants, I'm not surprised hearing about any of this. I grew up thinking Thomas Alva Edison and Walt Disney were Mexicans because mi tío Casimiro swore that that was true. My dad told me with a straight face earlier this year that the COVID-19 vaccine had a microchip by Bill Gates attached to it. But thankfully, I was able to convince Papi to not believe that. Conspiracies have historically proliferated in working class immigrant communities. So when researchers and just regular folks say Meta's platforms has exacerbated that tendency among Latinos, well... I believe it. My colleague Brian Contreras recently wrote about this phenomenon. He's a technology reporter. And Brian, I want to know what were some of the conspiracy theories you heard growing up from your relatives? I don't know. Maybe the standard Bigfoot Loch Ness Monster stuff. Not not fully bought into it, but definitely in the ambient atmosphere of, of growing up with those sorts of stories. Definitely in sort of the cultural background that was there. It's there. Yeah, no, they believe it. I mean, then, of course, if you're from Mexico, <laughs> El Cucuy, Chupacabra, all sorts of other conspiracies. Sure. But anyways, your story, what were some of the biggest revelations to come out about how Meta, which, full disclosure, by the way, advertises on this podcast, allegedly allowed misinformation in Spanish to spread? The big reveal here is just the extent to which Facebook had internally been talking about how big of a problem they were anticipating this being leading up to the 2020 election. You know, I spoke to a number of politicians and lawmakers and researchers and nonprofit workers for this story, and a lot of them have found their work with Facebook to be sort of one-sided. They have found Facebook is not super transparent about these issues around misinformation, both for Latino users and in general. Uh, they haven't found the company super cooperative in terms of sharing its data, giving, you know, back-end access to sort of what's going on behind the scenes. So it's interesting to look at these documents when, you know, in February and March 2020, Facebook employees themselves were talking to one another and raising these red flags, being like, we are not as prepared as we need to be, for instance, moderating, you know, conspiracy theories that are getting put up in Spanish or that are getting spread around, you know, the... Cuban-American and Venezuelan-American communities in uh, Miami or South Florida, they were very clearly aware that this was something that was going to become an issue as 2020 moved forward. You know, you can talk to these researchers and their conclusion, at least, is that Facebook didn't end up doing enough. It didn't act on those concerns enough, even though it had 
months, if not longer, to prepare. Because when the election finally did come around, you know, as you know, there were conspiracies and lies and half-truths and all this misinformation getting passed around on WhatsApp, which is like almost half of Latinos in America use WhatsApp, which is way above the average uh, use in the, the overall population. So how did it play out in the 2020 elections? Yeah, it's I, I want to be clear that Facebook is not the only thing that was spreading misinformation. Uh, YouTube is a big part of this ecosystem, too. And even, you know, traditional media, local radio stations, local news are part of this. But um, Facebook and the other apps it owns, Instagram, WhatsApp, give this a scale that we really haven't seen before. And, you know, you can have stuff that gets spread around between people instantaneously. So you see... QAnon, this this massive conspiracy theory about, you know, elite politicians are satanic pedophiles who are running the government behind the scenes. You see that, but it's in Spanish and it's not getting fact-checked to the same degree. You see, you know, stuff about Antifa thugs are going to be, you know, harassing people at polling sites. What Latinos were dealing with similar to what a lot of other Americans were dealing with, but the concern among researchers and among some of the lawmakers I spoke with is that Spanish language content and content essentially micro-targeted at Latino voters was just not getting the same degree of attention from Facebook uh, at a sort of managerial level. And as you mentioned, like not just South Florida, but anywhere with Latino communities, it's an ecosystem that turns into an echo chamber that's a silo. So you hear one conspiracy on, say, WhatsApp gets passed onto Facebook. Someone does a video about it on YouTube, and then it goes up to the Spanish language press, to radio stations. How does all this affect elections in general? It's hard to track, you know, someone saw this Facebook post and they voted this way as a direct result of that. Obviously, it's not that simple. But I think if you look at the scale of these issues, how much polling shows that people bought into stuff like the election is rigged or the outcome of the election was false or even, you know, QAnon or like the quote unquote pandemic theory that the COVID-19 pandemic is, is a hoax or is manufactured. I think it's obvious that these did gain a lot of traction among people, including Latinos. I mean, you also mentioned the prevalence among Spanish-speaking and Latino communities. Obviously, that's not just South Florida. That's California. That's Texas. That's Arizona. These are important states in elections. And Latinos are important voting bloc and getting more important in national elections more and more. So I think it's definitely a consequential thing uh, that these communities are getting targeted with this misinformation and that at least according to a lot of the researchers I spoke with, they're not getting taken as seriously as when this misinformation gets passed around other communities. Yeah, well, the real life implications also is people do believe that Joe Biden is part of some cabal, that the vaccine does have a microchip like my dad really, truly believed or all these other things. Yeah, you're sort of getting into the COVID-19 half of the misinformation, which is was running through a lot of the election and then has continued, obviously, after the election, especially now that vaccines are accessible to everyone. And the fact that anti-vaxxer misinformation is continuing to spread on these platforms, I think, is indicative of how far Facebook has to go. Like I said, these documents show they were aware of problems with their Spanish language and Latino-based misinformation a year and a half ago with regards to the election. And these are still problems we're seeing now. I think a, a good indication of this, and maybe one way it's particularly important for Latinos, is 
the ability of this misinformation to spread across borders. You know, a lot of U.S. Latinos, especially ones who immigrated here in the last few generations, still have, you know, Facebook friends or WhatsApp connections in other countries. So it's very much a transnational across borders problem also. We'll be back after this break. Brian, you spoke with Meta Company spokesperson Kevin McAllister. What did he have to say about the company's efforts to combat this Spanish language misinformation on their platforms? Sure. Yeah. Facebook took a number of steps that they point to in the lead up to the election, specifically around Spanish. So some of the tools that they built up on their platform were in Spanish. So they have this voting information center, basically, that was aimed at providing people accurate information about the election that was built out in Spanish. They expanded their voter interference policies, which are sort of the rules governing efforts to spread misinformation on Facebook about how and when people can go to the polls and vote. They expanded that to Spanish. They say they added two new fact-checking partners who would review content on Facebook and Instagram in Spanish. And that's on top of sort of their wider steps to combat misinformation. You know, they say they were taking down hundreds of thousands of posts or putting up warning labels on those posts if there is misinformation. So I don't want to imply that they weren't doing anything or that they weren't aware of the importance of addressing these issues in Spanish. But as the election indicated, as researchers found in Miami and elsewhere, and as we're seeing today still with COVID stuff, this issue hasn't gone away. It hasn't been entirely addressed, and it remains a concern for a lot of people who are following the issue. Brian, as you mentioned earlier, WhatsApp, you know, the meta thing, it's especially popular among Latinos in the U.S. Latino adults are more than twice as likely to use it as non-Latino ones. That's according to the Peer Research Center. So did meta build anything special in Spanish to fight misinformation there? They did have some Spanish language efforts on WhatsApp, although I will note that there was some reporting from the Washington Post that came out of these same whistleblower leaks in which essentially it indicated that WhatsApp employees had pushed to push out Spanish language voting information center information to millions of WhatsApp users, and that Mark Zuckerberg pushed back on that plan uh, because he was concerned it would come off as partisan. Now, Facebook has denied that and said it's sort of a misrepresentation. Uh, The Washington Post has stuck by their reporting. Finally, how have Latino advocacy groups reacted to all of these revelations? They've been frustrated, I think. I mean, I think for a lot of them, revelations is maybe a strong word because they suspected or had observed this stuff during the election or during the vaccine rollout. So it's not necessarily a surprise to a lot of them that Facebook was discussing internally what a lot of researchers have been saying out loud for a long time. So one group, uh, Unidos U.S., which is formerly the National Council of La Raza, uh, they recently actually cut ties with Facebook uh, over, and I quote, the role that the platform has played in intentionally perpetuating products and policies that harm the Latino community. And in the aftermath of the election, they and several other uh, Latino organizations, including the League of United Latin American Citizens, LULAC, Uh, sent a letter to Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg criticizing him for his inaction and enablement of this misinformation. 
So there definitely has been backlash among a lot of the organizations that seek to represent Latino voters and Hispanic Americans. Um, I think it will remain to be seen sort of how the rest of the pandemic plays out and how the vaccine rollout continues to play out. But there's certainly frustration building, and I don't think these whistleblower leaks helped. Brian, thank you so much for this interview. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Stephanie Valencia is co-founder of Equis Research and Equis Labs, which does studies on Latino voters. They've done research on how good or bad a job social media networks like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter do of identifying and removing misinformation in Spanish. Stephanie, welcome to The Times. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so what conspiracies have your Latino friends and relatives spread online in the past couple of years? You know, I do have that one primo who Just on, one? <laughs> on Instagram, um, I think people know better than to come at me with like sharing kind of crazy news and information. But he is constantly sharing stuff on Instagram from PragerU and OAN and talking about the fake news media and all of that. So, um, you know, even just being around my family is always a good barometer, I think, for many of us to understand what's really happening in the world and the kind of things that are being circulated on WhatsApp or on Instagram and the kind of truths that people are believing. There were many parts of uh, people in my family who were in northern New Mexico who were not getting vaccinated because of stuff they were reading online about what the vaccine was doing to people's bodies. And so um, all of that kind of information is really, really scary, especially when it's being shared on closed platforms like WhatsApp, where we have no real sense of how viral it's going. We know the kind of memes that our tias uh, and our primas yeah. are sending us that go super viral. There's a lot of disinformation and Spanish language disinformation, whether it's about vaccines or about the election or about the census that is being shared like that too, very virally. You recently wrote an op-ed piece for the Washington Post about this phenomenon, and you wrote this line, quote, many Spanish language social media pages and groups are cesspools. Damn, just like that? Yeah, they are. They really are. We've seen really, I mean, one is Facebook and what is happening on Facebook, particularly in closed groups. Um, we're seeing uh, the kind of disinformation that is spreading in places like Latin America with bad information from coyotes targeting immigrants who are trying to come to this country. So there's like a whole set of things related to how um, disinformation is in intersecting with immigration and really vulnerable populations who are desperately trying to leave their communities for any number of reasons. On top of that, you also have WhatsApp, which have closed groups um, of somebody's church group, of their soccer group, of their family group. We don't know how things are spreading online and how what the kind of reach that they're actually getting. And not only that, you also mentioned how disinformation about racial tropes, racism that perpetuate colorism and anti-blackness and that they seem to bubble up to drive that wedge, especially during elections between Latinx and black communities. Yeah, I, I think we've seen it on both sides. And in fact, last summer, there was a real peak during the um, uh, George Floyd uprisings where we saw disinformation about black protesters being circulated by Latino kind of focused pages that were really just perpetuating very bad assumptions and tropes about Black Americans that we knew would tap into some of the racism and colorism that exists in our community. 
On the same side, we also saw uh, at different points in the last couple of years as different iterations of um, crises uh, at the border were kind of um, percolating, a lot of disinformation spreading in Black communities about immigrants. So those who are kind of behind a lot of these um, misinformation narratives, and particularly around immigration and racism, know that there are, uh, in some of these communities, preconceived notions that we need to do a lot of work to untangle as a part of our community, but that they can tap into to tap into the greatest fears in some of these communities. And so, again, some of these were, um, you know, being virally shared uh, last summer and over the last couple of years, and very, very disturbing to see what they're trying to do to try to divide us. And it's not just Facebook. I know we're picking on Facebook a lot here, but an ecosystem where Latino misinformation is spreading all over the world. And we heard from our previous guest about WhatsApp. What about YouTube? So YouTube is definitely also a place where a lot of this is happening. Um, and from our research, 70% of Latinos are getting their news and information about politics and elections from YouTube. People are no longer tuning in to Univision and Telemundo or MSNBC and CNN or Lo Que Quiera like, in the same way that they used to. They're going to places like YouTube to try to get quicker snippets of information on what's happening in the news. And YouTube, because of free speech, and we all believe in free speech and free expression, um, but there aren't a lot of checks to actually understand who considers themselves news. And so we have people um, who are putting a lot of money behind efforts around outright disinformation efforts, but also things around like uh, conservative re-education. PragerU is a very conservative platform that is working to kind of do conservative re-education. They have an entire pillar called Americanos. There's another platform called OAN um, that is a very conservative related platform. They are starting a new pillar focused on Spanish language listeners and users and are specifically starting a Spanish language MAGA channel. So you see there are kind of all these different manifestations and people who are, again, purporting to be news on places like YouTube. And a lot of these places are making money from the content that they are generating. In fact, Free Press recently just released a report um, earlier this month in November that showed that Google was profiting from placing ads on Spanish language COVID-19 disinformation websites. So again, all these platforms have their own unique way and how they're contributing to Spanish language disinformation. Yeah, Google said more than a year ago that it would stop running ads next to COVID-19 misinformation, but the company didn't respond to our podcast request for comment. Is there any hope that the government's going to step in? The Hill has started to put more attention and pay more attention to what is actually happening in the Spanish language space. Amy Klobuchar, I was recently on a press call with her. Um, she is very interested in holding the platforms accountable on this. So they're beyond even just kind of the Latino um, United States senators. There is a broader group of um, uh, lawmakers who are paying attention to this issue and who I think are soon going to want to bring these platforms to the Hill to ask the questions directly. Finally, Stephanie, now that the problem of Spanish language disinformation on social media is well known, what should users do about it? Like, are there ways for people to try to fix the system? Or is it like if we see our loved ones who happen to be Latino spreading misinformation on social media, what would we say that would be different from our non-Latino loved ones? You know what? Bust out la chancla and smack them with it <laughs> and say, no sean tontos, don't be dumb. Yeah, there's always the chancla. The chancla is always a great solution to every problem where we need to <laughs> send someone straight. Um, no, I think that 
you know, we have to be smart consumers of news and information. So if there's something that makes you feel weird or makes you feel like that can't be true, like search it and find at least two or three more sources that prove that to be true, right? Always question the source, like who is it coming from? Why are they sending it? Why are they spreading it? Is there a political motivation behind why they're sharing it and they're spreading it? So I think we just have to be more active and engage consumers and start asking harder questions and really push back on those who we get that kind of information from. Um, of course, with the chunkla or just more respectfully, like, do you really believe that? Um, or, you know, where did you get that information? Do you really think that can be true? I found something else in counter. We at Ekis are about to do a big um, study uh, on disinformation kind of counter tools to understand what are the actually the best measures to, to flag um, disinformation content or questionable content for users. Like, is it showing them a counter video or like a fact check video? Is it saying like this, you know, like marking kind of disinformation or this questionable information? We want to understand what are the best ways to engage with users in a way that will help create those moments of like pause to say like, I need to ask more questions about this content. I know this sounds totally cheesy, but what about love? I gave the example of my dad at the very beginning. He did not want to take the COVID-19 vaccine. He thought there was a chip in it. He thought it would kill him. And just me talking to him over weeks, if not months, finally convinced my dad to get the vaccine. And as a columnist, of course, I'll say a lot of crap and just shame people. But on an individual basis, literally love and trying to understand, does that work? The simple humanity of a conversation. And I think we have, as um, citizens of this country, of citizens of the world, we have gotten in too easy a habit of um, just responding to things in a very knee-jerk way, in a pithy way, enough for tweets, because, yeah, I just got that onto Twitter, like, booyah, you know, when in reality, yeah. like these are real conversations and we have to understand like, dad, why, why do you, why are you really worried about this? Like, here's like all the researches, that's why. And so I think we forget the fundamentals of like having actual conversations with people to bring them along. Um, and so I think you're totally right, Gustavo, that, you know, that one-on-one -on -one conversation, that loving interaction, um, that being willing to not be combative and abrasive, but just to try to hear where somebody's really coming from is probably a skill we all could do better at um, expanding. Stephanie, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, the great gambling boats of 1930s Santa Monica and how it helped set the stage for Las Vegas. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puccia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this mother. Gracias. <laughs>